Matthew chapter 13, verses 3 through 9. And this is what it says. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them out. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would just add your blessing to this word today. Speak to our hearts and our minds. Let us grow closer to you and understand you and your word all the more today and fall more in love with you than we've ever been. God, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. And amen. You may be seated this morning. At some point, we may finish our uh, From the Mount series, but the Lord just really, I like to be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I like to just be open to whatever God wants to do and say, and I have no problem hitting pause on something that was in my mind an agenda to shift gears and do what God has asked us to do. And I just think we're entering into a time uh, that with all the stuff going on in the world, people are searching for a lot of answers. But I think the reality of it is the answer only works as far as you allow it to work for you. And so if I, as I have been praying over uh, the, the different things going on in Israel and all, all the different stuff, even just in our own country here lately, I felt a burden about these things. The Lord just kind of directed me to this section of Scripture, and, uh, and He's guided me through this, and I want to share with you what He's put on my heart because I believe this is for all of us. This isn't just a for Brandon message. This is something God's put on my heart that we need to understand as we navigate these waters. And I, and I know this scripture you look at at the surface level and say, how would that have anything to do with it? But I want us to start this journey understanding that in this, in this parable here of the sower, that the seed that is being sown is the word of God. That's what Jesus meant by the seed of the sower. It's God's word being sown to the world around us. And as you see in the scripture, many different uh, uh, soil types represent the different types of people. And as we work through this today, we need to understand that the word of God that goes forward, the Bible says, never returns void. It always comes back and produces something. But it doesn't always affect everybody the same way. And for some people, they refuse to hear it. And so the first section of soil that we see that this seed falls on, as the sower just scatters the word of God throughout the whole land, is that it first lands on the path. And we find that this path is really compacted and hard. And he says that immediately the birds come and eat up the seed. It doesn't even have a chance to begin to take root. This path has been compacted, and as I prayed over this, uh, God showed me something, and he showed me that this, this 
path is compacted and unusable for growth because it has been trampled on by the feet of men. And, and, I, and I had this light bulb moment because sometimes you look at, look at people when you share in the word with them and you just you wonder, why does this not sink in? Why does this not, how do you not understand this? How does this not click with you that he is the way, the truth, and the life? that he offers grace and mercy to all who will call upon him. How do you not understand this? And it dawned on me as I read this that uh, there are so many people in this world that life has just trampled them down and caused them to become hard-hearted. As life has trampled, as people have trampled on them, they've gotten to a point in their life where no wonder they can't understand the love of God because they've just never even understood the love of man. It is very common to know that people who deal with issues with their with their parents and with uh, especially with the father figure of the household have a really hard time understanding the love of God because they say, "Well, my father didn't love me; he was an abusive alcoholic how how could i How could you tell me that God is a father who loves me and is good?" And so people have this hard time understanding the truth of God because they've not experienced anything that would uh, allow them to understand it because if they can't understand the love of people because nobody's ever expressed love to them, how would they ever even understand what love truly is to begin with? And because they can't understand that, they can't understand how God loves them. Because in their mind, life is nothing but hurt and abuse and suffering in their mind, life is nothing but anxiety and depression because they've never experienced peace and joy. When you don't know what something is because you've never experienced it, it's really hard to understand. Has, have, you, have you ever talked to somebody and you asked them, why do you believe in God the way you do? Or has anybody ever asked you yourself, and your answer is, it's just because of the way I've experienced him in my life. I know that I know that he's true. You see, there is so much to be learned and gained from experience. And when somebody has gone through life experiencing nothing but being trampled on, it becomes very difficult for them to receive any of God's true love for them. It becomes very difficult for them to understand the word that gives us life because their whole life has been nothing but death and destruction and barrenness. And so for them, they, they can't wrap their mind around forgiveness because they've never been forgiven. They can't wrap their mind around love because they've never been loved. They can't wrap their mind around grace and mercy because nobody's ever been gracious or merciful to them. And so, therefore, that seed hits, and they say, yeah, right. We see, as I mentioned, we put the wrong Scripture in. That's my fault. But I put in the part where Christ is reiterating this, this parable, and he is explaining what the meaning is. And he says, the seed that falls on the path, it's like the devil comes and just snatches it right away. He will take advantage of all of the hurt and pain in your life and use it as an opportunity to harden you, to prevent you from ever hearing the truth of God's Word. 
He will, he will make you believe that there's no way God could ever love you. He will make you believe that you can never be forgiven. And he will use the life that you have lived and the life that you have experienced to make you feel that way. The trampling you've been through, sometimes we trample on ourselves and we put ourselves in these situations and we got to be honest with ourselves sometimes and understand that there is nobody else to blame but ourselves. And we sometimes we got to take advantage that or we got to we got to understand that we weren't taken advantage of but rather we put ourselves in in a situation to be a doormat and to be abused and to be used. But in this scenario there are people in this world that just cannot grasp it. Not to say that they never will grasp it, but they are in, the, in a place where they can't receive from God because they are so hardened by life. The second area of ground that we find is the rocky ground. It's called rocky, but it, when you study this, what we find is that it is a very thin layer of soil followed by a layer of rock. It's very shallow soil. And you see, this soil, it, it initially receives the word with joy, as Jesus explains this to his disciples. He says this, that soil represents somebody who really receives the word with joy, but uh, it, it immediately sprouts up and looks like it's going to be a wonderful thing. But the moment the sun comes out, the moment tribulation is turned up, the moment trials come, it withers away. And it's all because it can't take a deep root. And you see, it can't take a deep root because of all the rocks that are in the way. And I wonder sometimes if that doesn't represent us. You see, I, I believe most of us today do not relate to the path. I believe that if we are in this church today that we at least in some way, shape, or form have received enough of God's truth and revelation that we believe enough to get us into the house of God today. I, I believe that most of us can say that we are not in the path-hearted uh, category, but there are some of us who I think are still maybe in somewhat of the shallow, rocky ground category where where although the hardness isn't so much on the surface of our life, there might be some hardness a little bit deeper that is preventing God from really digging in and having a good rooted word in us. You see, this is shallow. It's where like we hear about the love of God. We hear about the truth. We hear about uh, his commands and his promises. But because there are some things in our life that have caused us to be shallow in our faith, and there's a few different reasons why. There's actually a lot of different reasons why our soil might be a little bit shallow. But the, the reality is, is whatever the reason is, there is a shallow-rooted faith in us. To help us better understand this, a shallow-rooted faith would be somebody who only ever hears the Word on a Sunday morning. They don't invest any time in it outside of church. How can it really dig a root into you if you only hear it once a week for about 30 minutes? How, how, how is God ever supposed to establish a root system of communication with Him if you never pray outside of church? How is it ever supposed to dig a deep root system in us if our only faith 
is on a Sunday morning. How, how is it that God is ever supposed to really do any transformational work in our life to really grow something fruitful and beautiful and wonderful if we have such a shallow faith because we don't allow him to go deeper? You see, sometimes I wonder if the faith is shallow because there are areas of our life we don't want him to have access to. Maybe the rocks are representative of areas we don't want to surrender to God. And so therefore, he can't go deep, any deeper than that, because you say, listen, I'm good with being forgiven. I'm good with uh, being saved. I'm good. I'm good to say that you are God, but I I really don't want to give this up. I don't want to have to dig in that area of the field because there's a lot of things that I just don't want uncovered. I'd prefer that the rocks stay under the soil and they don't have to be dealt with and removed because that would just be way too painful for me. And so in that area of your life, now you have this shallow soil this shallow spot that never produces anything fruitful because we refuse to allow God to come in with the excavator and dig out the rock and to put us through the process of replacing that with good fertile soil that can actually grow something because we'd rather leave it just kind of covered up under the surface and plant the seed, let it grow up, and just say, well, that area of my life is just not as fruitful as the other, but it still grows something once in a while. And and we settle for this, this shallow, unproductive faith that never changes our life, never leads us to a fruitful uh, uh, harvest of faith, but we just constantly go through the motions We are constantly trying to fix the same problems over and over and over and over again, when in reality you wouldn't need to fix it but one time if we would just do and allow God to do the work that he wants to do the first time. But because we allow the soil to stay shallow, we miss out on the bountiful, fruitful harvest that God has for us. There is so much fruit that God wants to produce in our life. He wants us to have a great harvest within our life, but the problem is is we don't allow him to develop the root system. You see, when we don't have the root system, it is so easy to pull a plant out of the ground. Has anybody ever gone to pull weeds in your garden before? And I use weeds as the example because for whatever reason, them suckers get the strongest root systems out of anything. And you go to pull this weed out of the ground, and it seems like you take half the garden out with you. And they have, and, and you got to work. There have been times, I used to work on a farm when I was in high school. There are times you had to break out a shovel to get these suckers out because they had, and, and it grows so fast. And we're going to talk about some thorny weeds here in a minute, but, but there, is, there is something about a root system. If you ever see a place that has a storm come through, it's always the trees that are younger and less mature that get ripped out and thrown around, whereas the ones that have developed the strong root system can really stand in the face of the storms. It is the ones that have the strong roots that uh, can pull the resources out of the soil, the water, the, the fertilization, all of the different things, the nutrients that it needs to live and be strong that it can last such a long time. 
and live to be hundreds of years old. There, there is something to be said about having a strong root system, but this, these rocks get in the way, and maybe these rocks aren't just, aren't just uh, you not wanting to uncover something. Maybe the rocks are just a lack of faithfulness. You see, people struggle in faith and life, but they come to church once every two months. And on top of that, usually that's because they are shallow-soiled, but they also, that's the only time they're getting any word in them, any prayer in them, any worship in them and out of them is once every two months. So no wonder things are never growing. No wonder life is brutal and they have a hard time standing when things get hard. Did you know that the new national average for attendance in church, like people are considered a regular church attender if they are in church once every six weeks, which is once every other month. How can we expect anything fruitful to come in our life if we put no effort in? Some of the other rocks are, wow, we just have too many other things going on. We can't make the time. I can't read. I got too much going on. I can't pray. I got too much going on. I don't have time for worship. I, I got to work every Sunday. And listen, I know some people really do have to work. And I, I understand that. I really do that you got to provide for your family. But that doesn't take away from the reality that you can read and pray and worship within your own home. You can read on your lunch break. See, where there's a will, there's a way. If you really are hungry for the God, you will find a way to make time for him. If you got to stay up till 2 in the morning to get some prayer and reading, stay up. If you are the opposite type of person and you need to wake up at 4 a.m. to get that in you, then you need to do that as well. But whatever you have to do. You see, in China, where Christianity is largely illegal, people will they'll have scheduled underground church meetings and people will ride on a train for 13 hours, sit in a hidden, dusty basement somewhere on cold, hard concrete for hours upon hours where they don't even have a Bible. They have scraps of paper that they've, uh, that they've gone through the Christian black market, if you will, to get their hands on, and they will memorize entire books of Scripture based on little pieces of paper that they get here and there, and they will piece it together in their heart and mind to get the full picture of God, whereas the national average in the United States is two Bibles per household, yet most of us don't know the word whatsoever. I heard this by another pastor who spent some time doing missionary work in China, and he was sharing this story with his church. And he was talking about this. And they said, well, we would love that you would pray that our, our church in China could be more like the United States where we could be free to worship. He says, I'm not going to do that. Because in church, people in the United States church, people won't drive more than 30 minutes to get to church. People will put their, their sports and other things above God's word. People won't make the time. He says, you guys ride 13 hours on a train 
to hear God's word. We, if the air conditioning's broken or if the power goes out, we think we should just go home. It, we complain if the chairs aren't comfortable enough, if the music's too loud, if the music's too quiet, if they don't sing the song that I like, if the lights are too dim, if the lights are too bright, if, if we don't like the decorations, we find all kinds of things to complain about and reasons to leave the house of God. But you guys find every reason you can and every way that you can to get there. No, I will not pray that we will be that you will be like us, but I will pray that we will be more like you. And we wonder why there's lack of fruitfulness. It's because we aren't willing to do the things that need to be done to experience a fruitful faith. If we want to stop the struggle, we want, not that you'll never have any other struggle, but there are some struggles that we should have moved on from a long time ago, but because we won't allow God to do the work and because we won't do our part of the work and grab a shovel and a wheelbarrow and dig, we continue to struggle with the same things over and over. And we wonder why there's no fruit in our life. There's two more sections of soil that the seed is sown on. The next one is the thorny ground where he sows the seed and it begins to grow. But what happens is the weeds full of thorns grow up and begin to strangle the crop that is being yielded. And I find it interesting, you know, you kind of assume at the surface level that uh, the crop that is being strangled dies, but the reality of it is if you look a little bit further in Matthew 13, the scripture that got entered into the computer but not uh, the one we started with, as, as, he, as a little bit later in uh, the, the chapter here, starting in verse 18, uh, the Bible tells us that uh, as it grows, the, so, the, the seed grows among the thorns, what happens is as it chokes the word, all it does is make it unfruitful. It doesn't kill it. It just makes it unfruitful. I find that interesting. I begin to kind of study that a little bit. What weeds do to plants, generally speaking is when they wrap themselves and entangle themselves with the plants, they steal the resources that the plant should be getting. They'll steal the sunlight. They'll steal the nutrients. They'll steal the water. Yes, they'll strangle them too and take some directly from the plant and try to choke them out and kill them. But generally speaking, they take over what should be going to the plant, the energy, the nutrients, all of those things, and take it for themselves. And therefore, when that crop grows, it just becomes unfruitful. I find that to be a very interesting thing because Jesus also tells us that this is the people who are overcome with the, the worries of the world and the deceit of worldly riches and they are so focused on that that the word doesn't grow and become fruitful like it should in their life. And I find that interesting because we, especially here in the United States, we want to pursue all these other things. And whenever we can find a little bit of time, we'll let Jesus have his moment. 
So just like the, the weeds steal the time and the, the, the sunlight, the soil, nutrients, all of those things, the water for themselves, we have all these things that we pursue in our daily lives that are stealing the time, the, the energy, the effort that should be going to glorifying God and, being, and leading to a fruitful life. And that, those things take all of that, and all that is left is just the bare minimum fruit, if any fruit at all. We worship our careers. This one might be a little touchy, but sometimes I think we worship our family. We worship our politics. We worship all these other things. We worship sports, travel sports. We were, we were driving this morning. We, we stayed with my parents and got up early. We went to go visit them. We get up at 6 a.m. this morning and to drive back. And on our way back, it's 8 o'clock in the morning, and they're, and I know we're driving, but they're setting up to play softball and baseball at a field we drove by. And my first thought was, is we got up at 5.30, 6 a.m. to make sure we were back for church. They got up at 5.30 probably to just make sure they could make it to the ball field. But if you would ever invite them to church, they would probably tell you they don't have time for that. So when I say this, we need to understand that it is very true that we allow other things to rob us of what belongs to God. They take our attention, they take our time, they take our resources. People say, well, I can't give to the church and I can't be involved in missions and outreach and things like that because I have to pay for my kid's softball uniform or or my kid's football cleats and all that and I don't have anything to give to God. And I'm not saying sports and all of those things are bad because there are some good things that come out of those. But I'm saying they're good, but they're not God. Your career is good, but it's not God. Your family's good, but it's not God. If, if my family, if I had family that wasn't saved come to visit, even if I wasn't a pastor, I'd say, listen, you don't have to go with me, but it's Sunday morning, I'm going to church. Make yourself at home or come with me. But one way or the other, I have to be in the house of God. And I know that probably doesn't sit well with many people. And I get it, your family's important. Sometimes you get very limited time with them. But you need to hear me today. Your family is not God. Your jobs are not God. Whatever you want to fishing, hunting, whatever it may be is not God. Whatever it is that keeps you from God, whatever it is that takes up all of your time and you have nothing left for him, whatever you need to fill in the blank with, it is robbing you of fruit. It is robbing you of the fruit of the Spirit. It is robbing you of the fruit of everything that God wants to produce in your life. And I'm not saying you can never miss a Sunday. Don't, please don't misunderstand me. You go on vacation once in a while. That's, it's really okay. But 
I don't think I need to talk to too many people about this, but I, I really believe, you know, it, it's okay to take a vacation once in a while. It's okay that you're sick and you need to stay home. It's okay once in a while, but when it becomes a habit and just a way of life to constantly miss and to constantly be gone, it, it, we find excuses after excuses to be away from the presence of God, but very rarely do we find excuses to be in His presence. This, I, I, I think out of all of these, this is the biggest one that we deal with in the church today. I know we dealt with it when we were youth ministers. I can't come to youth group because I have homework. I can't come to youth group because I have practice. I can't go on this trip because I have this or that. But we need to understand today we will miss out and see, you know, we get worried about, well, what about, what about paying the bills? What about this? What about that? Listen, if you have to work, you have to work. I'm not telling you you need to quit your job. That's between you and God. But what I am telling you is that Jesus does tell us in, in Matthew chapter 16, that it, or Matthew chapter 6, I'm sorry, that if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added to us. And before that, he's telling us, are not the lilies of the field dressed in such great wonder? How much more will I clothe you? Are not the birds of the air? They don't plant, they don't sow, they don't do any of that, yet they're always full and taken care of. How much more will I take care of you? I think we got things wrong. We pursue all of the food and all of that and all of the clothing, and we go after all of these things, and God says, is life not more than those things? And we get worried about it, and we focus on it, and we will sacrifice seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness to pursue things that he already has locked up for us in his kingdom. This might be a harder message to swallow today. You might disagree with me on some of this, but that's between you and God. I want to talk about this last soil, and then we'll be done. This is the good soil. We're going to end this on a, a high note for us today. The good soil is a soil that the sower plants the seed, and the seed produces a hundredfold, sixtyfold, and even thirtyfold what was planted. First thing I want us to know about this good soil is that it is a soil that represents a soul that is primed and ready and has done the plowing and the work necessary to receive the seed and produce something good. It's a soul that prioritizes prayer. It's a soul that prioritizes the word. It's a soul that prioritizes getting into the house of God to worship. It is a soul that is willing to dig out the hard rocks and get them out of the way. It is a soul that has maybe at one time been a hard path, but has allowed the plow to come through and turn up the soil and turn it into something that can produce something. It is a soul that is taken care of and is open to doing what God says to do. But I also need us to understand that results may vary. It says a hundredfold, sixtyfold, and thirtyfold. Those are all different numbers in what it produces. And I need us to understand today that you should not compare what produces in your life to what produces in somebody else's life because you don't know the depth of that their soil had to be dug and cleared out and the hardness that had to be dealt with, you don't understand those things. Yet we'll look at somebody and say, I'm only producing 30-fold, but they're producing 100-fold. Why, why am I wasting my time? We need to understand today that you are given a measure of grace. We are given 
seed, and we are to just be faithful with what we are given and let God be trusted to produce. Because there is one thing that remains true. We have to be faithful with little before we can be ruler over much. You might be only producing 30-fold now, but give it some time and maybe you will be producing 100-fold. Don't get hung up on the amount of fruit and the amount that you see coming out of it. Just stay faithful to working the soil and the field. Allow God to sow the seed into your life and just maintain a soil field that is open and ready to receive and let it take root. If you do that and stick to the plow, stick to obedience and faithfulness, you will see a crop yield and fruitful production that I believe you have never seen in your life before. I want you to understand today that although we may fall into a different category of faith, each and every one of us might be a little bit different today. God's will for us is to be a fruitful field full of the fruit of the Spirit, full of faith. And no matter what field you may fall under today, all of it can be plowed, all of it can be dug up, all of it can be fertilized, all of it can be cared for by God's grace. That no matter what field you're in, you can turn from being the path, the rocky, the weed-infested thorns, and be turned to good soil that produces much. Because that is God's will for our life. He has made a way for us to be that. Will you bow your heads with me today?